Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week we chat with author Jen Wilkin on the attributes of God, specifically God's all-knowingness and how that helps us worship Him. If I were to draw a circle that was three feet and it represented the sum total of God's knowledge, and then if I were to ask you to circle in that circle how much of that knowledge you possess, you'd be like, oh, I might put a little tiny dot in there. So when you think about that circle, you have to ask yourself in the midst of your trial, isn't it entirely possible that somewhere outside of my tiny dot of information that I can process that there is a fact or 45 facts that I may never be aware of this side of heaven that would make absolute sense of what I'm going through right now. There's this moment when Paul, one of the writers of the Bible, after he gets into some really heavy truth about God and humanity and salvation, he writes this, it's Romans 11:33. he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. You know, it's, it's almost like he explodes in this adoration of who God is after, you know, considering him and meditating on all that God is. You know, too many of us, whether we call ourselves Christians or not, we, we just don't erupt in adoration like Paul does after looking at and just meditating on God's greatness. And I don't, I don't think it's unfair or even unreasonable to suggest that, you know, most of us have a much smaller view of God than, say, someone like Paul did or as we should. And that's why we're taking this week to just look at God and specifically his omniscience, which is just a fancy word for the fact that God is all-knowing. He, he knows everything there is to ever know and then even more after that. Um, again, whether you're Christian or not a Christian, everyone really should consider who the biblical God is. You know, Christianity is a major world religion. So even if you are not interested whatsoever in, you know, Christianity or the Bible or God, you'd just be smart and wise to at least have an idea of who this God is that millions of people around the world worship. You know, in the same way that I should have at least a basic understanding of someone like Allah, the God of Islam, or of Brahman, this ultimate reality in Hinduism. So at any rate, the reality is that the thought of the biblical God doesn't make people tremble, whereas it should. So if you're interested in learning more about God, and again, specifically God's all-knowingness, his omniscience, and how that applies to things like suffering in the world and prayer, then listen on. Before we get there, though, I wanted to encourage all of our listeners, whether you listen on the radio, podcast, or online, to subscribe to our show on iTunes. It's super easy to do, and it really helps our podcast get recognized more easily. So thanks in advance. Anyways, here's my conversation with Jen Wilkin on God and his knowledge. With me today is author and speaker Jen Wilkin. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Jen. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Um, first thing, like we do with every single person, uh, is who are you? You know, how did you meet Jesus? Uh, what does your day-to-day life look like right now? We're all interested in who is Jen. <laughs> okay, I'm a wife and a mom. I have four kids, three who are in college and one who is a senior in high school. So I'm almost an empty nester. Nice. Um, I have been a believer since I was a child. I'm a terrible Southern Baptist because I can't point to a specific date when I was saved, but they have allowed me to stay anyway. Nice. Uh, I am an author and a Bible teacher. I write um, Bible studies that are used predominantly by women. And I write them um, 
historically I've written them for a community Bible study that I led in the community, and now I am on staff at my church, and so we are uh, resourcing the the people in the local church. Very, very cool. So, is that like your your day to day? Like today, you'll be working on that kind of that kind of uh, endeavor. Yes, I'm actually editing a curriculum on the second half of Matthew uh, as soon as I get off of our um, interview. Oh, man, that's awesome. Very, very good. Very cool. Um, All right. So let's just jump in here. Um, Last year, you wrote None Like Him, which which really did seem to be kind of highly just appreciated across the board, which is great. Um, In in a simple and just sort of a straightforward way, what is this book about and also, why did you write it? So first explain what it is, and then why did you want to explain that? So it's a book about the incommunicable attributes of God, the things that are true of God that are only true of Him and cannot be true of humans. So we know that we're created in the image of God, and uh, there's a lot of discussion about what it means to be an image bearer. Um, but much of what it means is that there are things that are true about God which can be reflected in us, things like that he's gracious and that he is long-suffering and that he is merciful. Um, but this book is actually taking a look at the attributes that are only true of him, that he is infinite, that he is self-existent, self-sufficient, et- eternal, etc. cetera. Um, so it's, it's focusing on that first half. You will not be surprised to learn that I actually just submitted a manuscript for the, the communicable attributes oh, to do as a follow-up. Yeah, yeah, Good, yeah. very good. Yeah, but, um, but I felt like it was important to start with the incommunicable ones because I think they're the ones that we most of us have the least developed vocabulary around, have spent probably the least amount of time meditating on, and so I wanted to draw our attention to those, first and foremost, because they, they are what render up for us a, a transcendent vision of God, something that inspires us to worship. Right. Yeah. That, no, that's really good. Um, now, in, in your book, you did say you're, you're writing this primarily for women. Uh, but for those listening who are men, like men can read this, obviously, and gain, yeah. and gain from it. I, was, <laughs> I just want to make that clear. Uh, definitely clear. Uh, we have uh, we've we've talked with Tim Charles before, and he wrote a uh, a review of it. So there you go. There's a man reading and gaining from it. So that's that's yes. just important to to get across that there. I was surprised. I was I was pleasantly surprised by the reading that it received from men, especially because the cover is is so feminine that you, I don't <laughs> right. know, like it's, it's like, it's, it looks like it's painted with estrogen basically. So <laughs> oh I, it goodness. takes a certain, takes a certain man to be able to go, you know what, I'm going to get past the cover and read this book, but it's true. The attributes are certainly not of benefit to only one gender. Well, I don't know what that says about me, but I was definitely attracted to the cover. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. It is, yeah. I, so I don't think it's necessarily like that, but anyways, there you go. Um, as I started to, to read, you, you mentioned Psalm 111.10, uh, which I have here. I'm just going to read it out so that uh, listeners can get the context of it. Um, it says, Psalm 111.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. And then his praise endures forever. So it references this fear of God. And, and really, like this is kind of a foreign concept. Which is kind of strange because the, the the phrase, the fear of God or the fear of the Lord is all throughout the Bible. Like everywhere is just fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. And so many people have this like, I don't really know what that means. And especially young adults, but really it goes across the whole spectrum. So um, could you could you explain what the fear of God is? 
Yeah, it's a concept that I think has sort of fallen out of favor in in just everyday Christian discussion because you hear people say so often, "Well, my God is a God of love," you know, placing placing His love as somehow an antidote. And oh, and people will always say, "Well, you know, perfect love casts out fear." So why are we even talking about fear? And it it does cast out a certain kind of fear. It casts out the fear that judgment will be meted out on us because we know that it has been um, meted out on Christ in our stead. But but you still read even in the New Testament, you know, that our God is a consuming fire. You still have all of these references to to a right fear of the Lord. And and it's not just an Old Testament concept of God. It endures because when Christians speak about uh, fearing God, what they mean is that we have a right reverence for him, that we understand him. Um, sometimes the way I talk about it, not just as our father, as the Lord's prayer begins, but also as the one who is in heaven. He is both a God who is near and a God who sits enthroned between the cherubim. And and we need to live in the tension between uh, both of those ideas of God, or else, you know, if you err too far towards our father, he becomes your Abba Daddy God, whose whose lap you snuggle in, you know, which is, I mean, in in women's circles, that stuff is everywhere. And if you go too far the other direction and only view him as God seated and thrown between the cherubim, then then you will fear him in the wrong way. You will see him only as unapproachable and thundering instead of as um, truly your, your father. Right. No, that, that's really good. Um, and, you know, as you say that, I'm thinking about uh, like Ezekiel and uh, uh, the Apostle John. And mm-hmm. when they sort of see Christ or see God, they they fall down. Um, right. And sometimes I see that, okay, that's that's like the fear <laughs> of God. They're not falling back like, you know, when the, the, the betrayers came with Judas and then Jesus spoke and they all kind of fell back. They're falling forward out of this place of like, you're so big <laughs> that I right. can't handle you, you know, but I'm just going to f- bow down towards you. Is that sort of like the fear of God as well? Well, I think it's definitely the response that we tend to still have even now. I mean, you think about Peter in the boat with Jesus and the miraculous catch of fish, right? And so when he hauls the fish in and suddenly realizes that he's not just in the boat with a man, and he's, he's in the boat with God, his response is very similar. It says that he, you know, he falls to his knees and he says, away from me, I'm a sinful man. And it's this, it's not just, so this is the whole, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self always go hand in hand, right? We see God for who he really is. And then we understand ourselves differently and we cry out uh, in repentance. And I think that's a piece that sometimes we can miss is that uh, we wonder why we remain unchanged, why we remain untransformed. Uh, and yet we spend all this time staring at ourselves saying, oh, why can't I make me better? But it's it's, it's not a vision of ourselves that causes transformation. It's a vision uh, of God and then seeing who we truly are that, that pulls us toward repentance and a turning away from, from sin. That's good. And I guess what you just said, the, the last part there, that is that is why we need the fear of God, like a proper yeah. fear of God to be transformed, to actually enter in. So, okay. So if the fear of God is something that we need as children of God, um, why is looking and meditating and beholding the incommunicable attributes of God help that? Well, because until we can understand how God is unlike us, I don't think we can appreciate the fact that he condescended to us at all the way that we should. 
Uh, and so we're, you know, we, I talk about in the book how, how we love to measure and quantify everything. We love to um, check the ingredients of what we're eating and we like to weigh ourselves and, you know, we wear the Fitbit to tell us how many steps we took in a given day and we like to see what our mileage is in the car. And it's because anything that we measure, we can to some degree control. And so then when we encounter a God who is immeasurable, he's a God who is outside of human control. And that, and that, that a response to that, your response to that, the unbeliever responds by raging against that. Right. But the, the believer responds to that with, with right reverence and awe. Right. No, that's good. Um, now, Jen, you, you've obviously been uh, working in the ministry, writing these books, all that kind of stuff for a little while now. So when you look at the sort of general landscape of North American Christianity, which attribute or attributes of God seem most neglected and or overlooked? Boy, um, arguably, you could say um, all of them from the standpoint that we, at least in North America, we have been in the habit of reading the Bible as a book about us. And uh, that's one of the main reasons that I wanted to start writing on the attributes was because I think one of the reasons that we read the Bible that way is because no one has lifted our eyes to this higher vision by giving us some vocabulary around it so that when we do read, we're reading saying, oh my gosh, I just saw his omniscience there. Oh, I just saw his omnipotence there. I think probably the one that we, so my my premise in the book is not so much that we neglect these attributes, but that we try to ascribe them to ourselves. Right. And I think the one probably that is the most compelling right now is omniscience because we all have a smartphone or we all have access to the internet. You know, as as long as you can reach Google, you're omniscient. And so, and you can see, no, no one needs me to write a book to convince them on all of the fallout from this. Those books are everywhere that this, this grasping for more knowledge than a limited mind is suited to hold and the, the, the instant gratification nature of it uh, is sabotaging learning as we know it for, for most people. You know, I mean, I can feel even in myself how um, the more time I spend looking at 30-second bits and pieces of things, the harder it is for me to even sit and read a full-length article. Sure, yeah, because you're conditioning your mind, I guess, just to have that yeah. instant, quick thing. So for those that are a little bit unfamiliar with omniscience, like this is a big kind of doctrinal word, yeah. <laughs> What what is that in like, you know, if you're, t- if you're saying it to your, like your young daughter or something like that. Yeah. So God holds all knowledge. Uh, he holds every single piece of knowledge. He holds every, um, potentiality in his head. He holds, if you can speak of him as having a head, he, he knows all things past, present, and future. And he knows them all simultaneously perfectly. And the really mind blowing part for us as humans is that he learned none of these things. God is incapable of learning. Uh, the reason that he knows them all is because he is the origin of all of them. So um, that's a wholly different idea of, of, of a knowledge base than, than we have. And his knowledge is unlimited. So, you know, he knows everything. He knows everything macro. He knows everything that can be seen through the strongest Hubble telescope. And he knows everything that that telescope can't see. And he knows everything micro that can be seen between in the strongest electron microscope and everything that is smaller than that. And so it's a level of knowledge. You can't even properly call it a level of knowledge because it is knowledge unbound. And, and that's what we want. That's what we think that we can access 
uh, through our phones or through the internet. And we, we actually think we can handle it. Right. Yeah. And we, we cannot, but so here, let's, let's take the, uh, just a, a young, uh, 20 year old guy who is just filling himself with this sort of instant knowledge from his smartphone, all that kind of stuff. But he does go to church. He has given his life to the Lord. Um, how does beholding God's omniscience actually change the way that this young man can actually live better in, in Christ? Right. So um, everybody at some point in their life is going to encounter a difficult circumstance or confusing circumstance, and they are going to want to ask, how can this make any sense? How can this possibly be for my good? And um, when we ask those questions, those are very valid human questions to ask. I never want to shame the asker for asking um, but at recognizing that we hold limited knowledge and God holds unlimited knowledge, is, knowledge changes the way that we reflect on our ability to trust him. Because, you know, I always say it, if I were to draw a, a, a circle that was three feet in uh, diameter and it represented the sum total of God's knowledge. So it's a, it's a limited picture anyway, because obviously his knowledge is unlimited, but right. let's just say okay. that we could draw okay. it in, yeah. in, in that circle. Gotcha. And then, it, and then if I were to ask you, Isaac, to, to circle in that circle, how much of that knowledge you possess, Right. you know, you, you'd be like, oh, I might put a little tiny dot in there right, if I were right. super arrogant. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and so, so we're sitting here holding our tiny little dot of knowledge saying, I don't see any way that this can make sense. And, um, and, you know, it, most of us at some point have, have heard one side of a story told to us and been like, well, that's terrible. I can't believe someone would do that to you. And then we hear the other side of the story and you're like, oh, see, I was missing some of the facts. Right, right. So when you think about that three foot in diameter circle, you have to ask yourself in the midst of your trial, isn't it entirely possible that somewhere outside of my tiny dot of information that I can process and hold on to, that there is a fact or two facts or 45 facts that I am not aware of and may never be aware of this side of heaven that would make absolute sense of what I'm going through right now? And I guess as you're saying this kind of, you know, scenario or whatever, like I can't help but think obviously Christians, one of their favorite verses, Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that for those mm-hmm. who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So say this young guy is in a situation where he just seems like his family's breaking apart and losing his job and all these kind of maybe external things and it's causing these internal struggles that's going on. Uh, I guess in a sense, you, you're saying that because of God's omniscience, because maybe this guy doesn't have all of the knowledge, that these things are working for his good. Sure. I mean, not only that, but that nothing that's happened to him can take God by surprise, right? He doesn't need to, because that's what we, we're like, well, does God really know what's going on here? Because surely he would step in. You know, it, it starts to remove all of the anxieties of um, why is God not intervening on my timetable according to my set of facts? Because we, we begin to, and I, and I never mean to imply that this is something you just instantly get to because you understand that God is omniscient. But I, but I do think that in meditating on his omniscience, and I would even say meditating on his omniscience when you aren't in crisis helps to prepare you for the times when you are. Because when you, when you are in crisis, that's not really a time to, to start developing your theology, yeah. you know, around yeah. a set practice. You're just, you're just white knuckling it, right? So it's, it's good to invest in those things at the times. 
I'm just thinking about this since we're kind of on this knowledge, uh, our God's omniscience, talking about knowledge. How would you encourage a friend or family member who is in a place of crisis and they are a brother or sister in Christ, but they're sort of, they're kind of freaking out and are, they, maybe they start accusing God a little bit and maybe in indirect ways like, oh, God does not want me to be here anymore, blah, blah, blah. How would you then, without kind of being like, well, God, you know, you know, you just quote Romans eight twenty eight at them. Um, <laughs> how do you then sort of do that? Like point them towards God's omniscience, but in a like very gentle, affirming way. Well, I don't know, Isaac. It would really depend on my relationship with the person and how how well uh, they knew me and I knew them and the trust level that we had. Because I mean, generally speaking, I gotta say, when someone's in crisis, the best thing to do is say, "I'm sorry." And I'll pray for you. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> you know, and, and wait for them to open up a further dialogue. Mm, okay, that's good. Well, you know, you just keep it. You kept it pretty simple. That's good. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad you did that. Um, how does I guess a question is how does uh, reflecting and beholding God's omniscience kind of help our our prayer life? And I, you know, prayer the prayer life of many I, I feel bad for many young adults is very slim. Yeah, uh, which is which is sad. I think it's probably amongst the whole board. But how does knowing God's omniscience actually help us in our in our prayers? Well, you know, there's that whole, if God already knows what I am going to ask before I ask for it, why would I even, why does he want me to ask him? Uh, and that's a, if, if you think about that for a second, it reveals a, a foundationally limited understanding of the purpose of prayer in the first place, um, because it, it implies that we believe that the sole purpose, or at least the primary purpose of prayer is to make our requests. Uh, but prayer is is for it's for worship and it's for praise and for thanksgiving and it's for repentance. So I, I can't remember who said it, but there's a beautiful quote that says, you know, if if the sole purpose of our prayer was to offer God praise, that alone would be reason enough to pray without ceasing. So I think that when we when we reflect on God's omniscience, and one of the things that it can do for us is if we are continually coming back and saying. Lord, you, you remember that sin I committed, you know, 25 years ago. I just need to confess it to you again. I just need to confess it to you again. And, and, and it's like, the Lord, the Lord knows. And not only that, but He knows every sin you have yet to, to commit that you're not even aware of. Right. Uh, so we can come to Him, I think, in confidence that our salvation is secure, knowing that He saved us with full and complete knowledge of every sin. Nothing is going to catch Him by surprise. Nothing is a, nothing is a deal breaker for Him. I love it. And to, to throw one kind of curveball at you, and if, if you don't want to, that's totally fine. But I, it's just, you know, when you talk about God's omniscience and, and the knowledge of all, then, I mean, the question that comes up is like, well, what about what about sin? What about the things yeah. that are evil? If God knows all, all that knowledge is come comes from him, then, I mean, what, how does that work? Why does he allow? Yeah, why does he allow evil? So I think it's important to note, you know, just when people classically talk about this is evil is not a thing. Uh, evil is an adjective. And so um, so God does not create evil. Now, he does allow for the possibility of evil being practiced. And, um, and you know, I you're asking me the, the theodicy. You're wanting me to explain to you why Genesis 3 happened. And, exactly. you know, this is not a, this is not a 30-year radio program, so it's we're true. going to it's have true. to uh, it's true. Cut, our, cut our losses there. But I will say what we can say simply about that is two things. First of all, the problem of evil, the question of why we have that um, is not a question just for believers. That's a question for people of any faith practice. Yeah, it's exactly. a question for the atheist and the agnostic. Everyone has to answer that one. 
Um, and uh, we don't know why. I mean, it, anyone, any Christian who tells you that they have a convincing answer to that is probably not a very good student of, of church history or uh, because we, we don't know why. But we can say, we can say, as R.C. Sproul always says, you know, we can say that it must be good that there is the presence of evil or God would not have allowed it. And we mean ultimately good. Of course, we never mean that it's a, that, that we should rejoice in our sufferings in some ma- masochistic way. That's, that's never the point of those passages. Yeah. No, that, yeah. that's really good. Um, thank you so much, Jen, for just taking the time to uh, chat with, uh, with us today. If you're interested in Jen's book, you just listen and you're kind of interested, like, oh, I kind of want to know more about, I mean, we kind of focused on one uh, sort of incommunicable attribute, omniscience, and we barely scratched the surface. But if you want to look at nine more, kind of a little bit more in depth, uh, you should check out Jen's book, None Like Him. You can pick it up on Amazon. You can go to crossway.org and find it there or uh, jenwilkin.net and you can find her books there. There's a there's a blog and, and other resources and stuff like that. Um, before we finish, is there anything else you wanted to, to say, Jen? Uh, yeah. My hope would be that we would be better worshipers by having a, a fully developed vocabulary around the God that we worship. And, you know, that's my hope for you guys. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Jen. I hope to have you back on the show again soon. Thanks. That was author and speaker Jen Wilkin. And you can access her blog at jenwilkin.net. Again, all the links for the sites and her book, None Like Him, will be posted on the episode page online. Now, before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you all of just a few things. Firstly, In Doubt is not just this audio program. We also blog regularly on our site about faith and cultural topics. We provide Bible studies for individual and group use. Uh, this Earlier this year, we came out with Jude for the Faith. And we have live events that are always live streamed, like our event Sexual Identity that came out last fall. So, if you enjoy listening to these weekly conversations, we'd love for you to take advantage of all the other resources that we have as well. Uh, We recently heard from a listener in Ottawa, Ontario, letting us know the benefit and encouragement our articles have had on her. Uh, So you should definitely go check those out. Secondly, we want to tackle issues and topics about life and faith, so pretty much everything, really, uh, that you're working through. So things that maybe bother you or, you know, you're struggling with or you're simply interested in. Um, I, I know it may seem weird to actually contact ministry about those kind of things, but just do it. It's not going to be weird. Trust us. Uh, you can direct message us on Facebook. You can tweet us at Twitter. You can comment or direct message us on Instagram as well. Or you can always just email us at hello at indoubt.com. And thirdly, we have a weekly email called the Indoubt Mailbag. It's only once a week, every single Wednesday, and it features our newest conversation, article, and any other important information that's relevant, like events and things like that. Now, the group who wants this mailbag is growing, and I'm sure you want to be a part of it as well, right? Uh, it's super simple to do this. Just head to our Canadian site, which is indoubt.ca, and you can sign up there. You'll see the newsletter tab just kind of on the right-hand side as soon as you go there. Uh, but you can always just email us at hello at indoubt.com to ask to be added, and we'll just gladly do that for you. Now, if Indoubt is a ministry that you'd be interested in helping out financially, uh, we would really, really appreciate that. Uh, everything that we do, which I just explained a second ago, so our articles, our podcasts, our live events, our Bible studies, everything like that, is given out for free. Yet, obviously, it costs us to create it and publish it all. Uh, We rely on God's provision through generous donors across this country, some of them simply giving $5 a month. And I I say that because $5 a month may seem small, 
but it's actually huge. It's like 16 cents a day, but if more and more people give, and that kind of adds up day by day, you have this large sum, which really does help uh, you know, grow and sustain and move in doubt forward. Now, if you're interested in this, just click the big donate button and follow the instructions at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada, or indoubt.com if you live in the States. And I should say that those who do give, they give because they believe our mission. And if this is the first time you're listening to In Doubt, our mission is to bring the gospel to the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every single day, cultivating conversation. That is our mission. That's why we do what we do. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we have Cody Curtis back on the show. He's the director of Solos, this musical group, and he'll be chatting with us about their brand new album, which is called Hebrews. See you then. Indoubt Ministries exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S. Thank you.